Where does yesterday's future, which is already here, ready here, ready here, ready here, meet today's future, which is about to happen, and tomorrow's future, which could be just minutes away? Welcome to Technology Revolution, the future of now. Where host Bonnie D. Graham asks savvy futurists for their predictions about the tech driven trends that are shaping our future right now. Here's your host who will take us into the future of now, Bonnie D. Graham. <laughs> I still get goosebumps when I hear that introduction. That's the voice of my co-producer, Ryan Treasure, VP of Broadcast Everything at World Talk Radio Voice America. Good morning. I'm Bonnie D. Graham, and we have a great show for you today. This is Technology Revolution, the future of now. And why we do this show is because you, every one of you in our very robust global listening audience, you're all over the world, you're part of making the future of now happen. People say, oh, the future is already here. No, it's not. That was somebody else's yesterday future. We're working on today's future. So let me give you a couple of quotes. I have a quote here from medium.com and one from mytotalretail.com. This will set us up for our topic. Then I'm going to have my four very valuable, very valued panelists introduce themselves. So here's the buzz. Quote, the traditional retail industry is facing challenges as the rapid development and continuous improvement of AI tools and techniques, remember that, ushers in the era of new retail. Many once successful brick-and-mortar shops are at risk of disappearing altogether if they fail to adapt to the changing marketplace. Many Fortune Global 500 retail companies are implementing AI, there's that word again, artificial intelligence, AI technology such as computer vision and NLP in unmanned stores and warehouses or virtual stores and accelerating supply chain upgrades. There we go. That's from medium.com. Here's a quote from My Total Retail. Retailers often feel understandably reluctant to give emerging technologies a try unless they feel extremely confident in the eventual payoff. Capgemini Research Institute's comprehensive study recently revealed a growing number of retailers implementing AI in their organizations, they're doing it, and they focus on customer-facing applications. And the study showed that if retailers branched out and deployed AI across their operations, get this, they could save more than $340 billion, that's right, $340 billion by 2022. That's from my total re- retail we have four experts on the show today. They're going to share their input. We're going to have them give their predictions for what's going to happen on this topic and some interesting quotes they've sent me to hear how they think about this topic. So let me just tell you who they are, and then we will have them introduce themselves. We're welcoming back on radio with me, Brian Kilcourse at RSR, that's Retail Systems Research. We're welcoming back Profil Caranth at SAP, Matt Lakaitis at SAP, and our newcomer on the panel, Roger Roney at SAP. So Brian Kilcourse, please kick this off. Introduce yourself to our listeners. What is your background in retail? And overview quickly, what do you think of this topic? Is AI the future of retail? Brian? Well, so, hi, I'm Brian Kilcourse, and I'm a managing partner at RSR Research. I've actually been in the retail industry since about 1969 or 70. Like so many people, I got a job uh, when I was in college and I worked at as a receiving clerk at a high-end women's clothing store. But I've been in retail most of my adult life. I spent 10 years as a CIO in a company called Long's Drugs in California, $5 billion chain. And in uh, the early 2000s, I advised um, several companies through a couple of VCs in the Palo Alto, California area at Silicon Valley to people who don't know the geography. And uh, in a roundabout way, I ended up being the CEO of a B2B media company in Boston, and from there, we started RSR Research, and uh, we've, been, we've been chugging away ever since. Thank you, Brian. What's your take? Uh, the topic today is, is AI the future of retail? We get a yes or a no answer from you. What do you think? It's absolutely intrinsic to the future of retail. And, that's, and what's really, if I could rephrase that, I would say that yes. the future of retail is tied up in the strategic value of information that AI helps them to understand. That was beautiful. I want to paint that on the side of a building somewhere. Can I do that virtually, Brian? That was that was it. lovely. That was very, very lovely. Thank you so much. Somebody will quote you saying that someday. I predict that. Brian Kilcourse, thank you. And I know you're somewhere in California where there are power on and offs due to the upcoming or impending wildfires. We're glad you're safe, and I'm so happy you have power today. We're delighted to have you, so thank you. 
Thank you very much. Thanks well, to your power company. I have company. power to talk to you, Bonnie. <laughs> I know you are. And you have the power to talk to me, too. Let's go around the table to Praffel Karanth. Praffel, welcome, and please introduce yourself to us. Uh, thanks, Bonnie. Uh, this is Praffel Karanth. I'm, uh, uh, I work at SAP. I'm uh, an industry executive advisor focused working with our hardline retailers and then providing supply chain leadership to our retail and consumer product companies. My background uh, has been about 30 years in retail and in various roles, primarily in supply chain, and uh, uh, been there since uh, 1988, worked in various areas and seen the level of automation increase from just you know pick-to-light systems to all the way, as you mentioned, AI, robotics, mm-hmm. drones. So it really goes beyond just artificial intelligence, but the whole area of, of uh, from customer engagement to delivery. So um, I'm currently with SAP and uh, look forward to uh, participating on this show. Thank you, Profil. And quickly, what's your take? Is AI really the future of retail? Agree or disagree with what Brian said? Absolutely agree. I think I would add more than just AI. It's all about as Brian also said it's all about the insights and the data, which kind of uh, bias my uh, my quote here. But it's all about how do you get insightful information and how you can almost drive that to predict your future behavior with your consumers because that is changing. So absolutely agree. Also words of wisdom. Thank you, Mr. Corinth. Appreciate that. One more stop around the table to our third panelist, Matt Lakaitis. How are you, Matt? Hi, Bonnie. I'm doing wonderfully. Thank you. How are you? Doing well? Um, well, thank you for asking. Talk to me. Let, tell everybody who you are, what you do, and you can also answer that question. Is AI indeed the future of retail? Matt? Great. So I've got the uh, incredible privilege of leading SAP's efforts in North America across three important uh, verticals, retail, wholesale, and consumer products, which we group into what we call consumer industries. And that's really because All of these brands within uh, those categories are focused on the same thing, which is how do I stay relevant to my customer? How do I provide more value to that customer? How do I advance our strategy going forward? And uh, there's a lot behind that, but uh, it's really gratifying for me. I've been serving um, brands like that for 25 years through technology, and I've seen a lot of different approaches over the years, and I will absolutely say uh, that the future of retail is AI, and it actually is happening now. So the future is now, because there's so many people getting great benefit from experimenting and using this technology to benefit their brand strategies in really impactful ways. So looking forward to discussing that more. Thank you very much, Matt. I I don't think I could do a retail show without you, Matt. You've been on so many in the past couple of years. So hello, (laughs) is Matt Lakaitis available? Yes, we could do the show. Thank you, Matt. Roger Roney, newcomer. You already get the idea of how this works. We have a lot of fun, but we also share a lot of very interesting and very solid business information. So Roger Roney, welcome. And please, for the first time, tell us who you are and what you do. Thanks, Bonnie. Uh, well, it's a really high-powered panel here we have here. Uh, my name is Roger Roney. It is my real name. I didn't make it up. Um, <laughs> I am a pre-sales person <laughs> and have been my entire career. And I currently I run a global pre-sales effort in retail here at SAP. So I keep an ear to the ground on field activities to determine trends, activities, and movements within the retail industry. Um, I've been in the retail and consumer products business since 1993, first with startups and then with major players. I began in the category management and the planogramming business with a company called Intactics, which is the major planogram player in the market now. Uh, incidentally, I was the seventh employee at Intactics, and my employee number was, you guessed it, 007. Um, <laughs> I spent 16 <laughs> I love it. Go ahead. I spent 16 years at uh, JDA and six years at a forecasting company out of Switzerland called SAF, and we joined SAP in 2011. Uh, My specialties are largely category management and demand forecasting, and I have a bachelor's degree from Swarthmore College. I saw that. I I don't know if you want to know this, but I'm a Sarah Lawrence girl. You know Sarah Lawrence College, right? 
Oh, of course I do. Of course I do. We weren't we weren't a Seven Sisters school, but we were certainly up there. This is back in the day. I won't I won't say before you were born. I'm not that old. But this was when Sarah Sarah Lawrence was an all women's school, all women's school, and yeah, I, I actually ran into. That. And does everybody remember Leslie Gore, the rock and roll star? Uh, you, uh, it's oh. my party. Remember, she, I it's ran into party, her in the bookstore. Know, if I want to, right. She was there. I ran into her in the bookstore. Yoko Ono went there. Barbara Walters went there. Uh, and, and it's funny, but we had uh, many of the daughters of, of captains, uh, I'll call them captains of industry, uh, of journalists, of famous reporters. They used to fly their daughters home from the private planes on the weekend and fly them back to nearby airfields. Oh, yeah. I had to have my dad pick me up in a car and bring me to Long Island for a weekend if I wanted to go home. We didn't have a private plane. But anyway, so I was very intrigued with with your uh, credentials at Swarthmore. Thank you, Roger. And Roger, do you agree, is, in fact, AI the future of retail? Yes, no, or maybe? Um, yes, and maybe. And it's going to depend Ooh. on how it is how it is deployed and how it ends up being integrated into regular processes. If it's a separate technology that people go to separately, perhaps not. But if it's integrated into the regular processes in the organization, it becomes essentially transparent. Absolutely. Very interesting. That was an interesting uh, slice of looking at the topic a little bit differently. Thank you so much. Now it's the part of the show where I'm going to read a quote that was sent to me in advance by each panelist, an interesting quote not on the topic specifically, and ask them to tell us how they picked the quote and what in the world it has to do with the topic. Brian Kilcoris, you made me smile over and over again. You picked a quote from the Beatles. It's from the song The End from their 1969 Abbey Road album, which was famous reissued this year 2019 uh, let's see I'm looking for any background composed by McCartney credited to Lennon and McCartney and this is an interesting trivia here it was the last song recorded collectively by all four Beatles the final song of the medley that constitutes most of side two of this album Abbey Road and it features one of the few drum solos recorded by Ringo Starr and that intrigued me Brian because I'm a drummer now in, in my spare time quote unquote and I watch a lot of Beatles videos and very rarely, very seldom, do you see Ringo actually playing the drums. He's usually on a bicycle or doing something funky, and I was intrigued, so I have to look at this one. So here's the quote Brian has selected. The love you take is equal to the love you make. And the line in the song that precedes that is, and in the end, the love you take is equal to the love you make. Brian, what in the world does this have to do with retail and AI? Please help me out. Well, first of all, it's a shameless plug for the reissue of the Abbey Road album. Isn't it? <laughs> love um, it. Absolutely love it. You know, um, I, I thought about this for a little while, and it, perhaps this is a stretch, but uh, the Abbey Road was the, the first and only album that Beatles recorded in eight tracks, um, which nowadays seems like, you know, like it came back from the 17th century or something. But uh, it was the only one that did eight tracks, and it, they did a brilliant, brilliant job at it. And a lot of people thought that it could not be improved. And then uh, Giles Martin came out this last year, and showing what the, the power of modern digital technology can do, actually improved the album. It's absolutely revelatory when you listen to it. And I was thinking about how um, the digital world can actually make this very familiar and beautiful analog world that we live in even better if we use it appropriately, if we use it the right way. It didn't take over the album. It didn't transform it into something modernistic. It took a great thing and made it just a little bit better. And I think that that's uh, how we ought to view the, the value of uh, digital technology and retail generally. Retail is a lovely industry. It's been around for a thousand years or thousands of years. People love to shop. It's fun. It's entertaining. It also fulfills some real needs. Uh, retail isn't going away, but how retail is, is executed is changing. And it's changing in some subtle and some really startling, startling ways. And I think we need to think, not throwing out the old, um, but uh, enhancing the old with what modernity can bring to the table. And I, that's why I thought of this. Thank you. It's it's a lovely quote, and it, 
it just means so much in so many ways. Thank you, Brian. Let's move around the table to Praffle. And Praffle has sent us a quote. We love this one. It's from W. Edwards Deming, 1900 to 1993. American engineer, statistician, professor, author, lecturer, management consultant. He helped develop the sampling techniques still used by the U.S. Department of the Census and the Bureau of Labor Statistics. And here's the quote. Everybody knows this, and let's see what Praffle has to say about this. In God we trust, all others must bring data. Praffle, how does this apply to our topic, please? Yeah, Bonnie, I think, uh, first of all, Deming kind of was a very early influencer for me personally as uh, I made the transition, my career very in the late 80s from finance to supply chain and operations. And we actually almost had a chance to meet him. We, our company that I worked with did win the Deming Award. And so mm. uh, it allowed a perspective of uh, when information was always important, whether it was in the late 80s and 90s to today. Um, and I think it's very relevant to what we our topic today is it's not information and data has not gone away. The, the, the problem is data has, I wouldn't say quadrupled, it's, it's expanded exponentially. Mm-hmm. And all this information exists, but what do you do with it, what the insights are, and how do you use that information? That is probably where these innovative technologies that you get from computer vision, that you get from AI, that you get from machine learning. So I think that that that, that was a quote that was very a long time ago, but extremely relevant today. And plus, whenever I mention it, even after all these years, it still brings a smile to the audience when I mention it. So mm-hmm. uh, it's a great light, lighthearted comment. Thank you very much. Appreciate that. Great quote. We love to have it. Let's go to Matt Lakaitis. And Matt has sent us a quote from The Joker 2019 movie. It was said by Arthur Fleck, played by Joachim Phoenix. I hope I'm pronouncing his name right. It's a psychological thriller based on the DC Comics character, The Joker. A story follows Arthur Fleck, a failed stand-up comedian, oh, I got to see this one, who is driven insane and turns to a life of crime and chaos in Gotham City. Here's the quote. Love this, Matt. Is it just me or is it getting crazier out there? Matt, how in the world does this have to do with AI and retail? Can't wait to hear this. <laughs> well, first of all, in following with Brian's theme of shameless plugs, this is a shameless plug for uh, the Joker movie, uh, which is amazing. And uh, I'm actually uh, a DC comics fan, not a Marvel fan, so I tend to follow more of the DC uh, comics movies, you know, the Batman, the Superman, those sorts of things, and Joker's, you know, fits right into the darkness of those, but uh, I thought it was really fitting when we <clears throat> thought about this topic because there are people that come to us and say, you know, it is crazy out there in terms of people are coming at me with, hey, we have to have an AI strategy, we have to have a machine learning strategy, we got to figure out how to have a better bond with our customers. And I think we've all had those bosses that uh, maybe drop drop a note on your desk and walk away, and you know, people tell us the bosses say we have to have a strategy, we have to do something around AI. Right, but let's figure out what to do and how to do it. So there's a lot of chaos out there, um, but if you actually have confidence and move in directions that make sense for your business, reinforce your brand, you can make sense of the craziness. So while people say it's getting crazier and crazier all the time, it's actually not, and you can actually control the, the craziness and come out with the outcome that you want. Thank you very much, Matt. Love the quote. And Roger Roney has selected a quote from Steve Jobs. This is a really good one. Uh, I, there's a, a personal reference to Steve Jobs, Robert. Roger, when I brought the idea for a Live Thought Leadership podcast to SAP in 2011, we debuted my very first show at the time called Breakfast with Game Changers, later changed to Coffee Break with Game Changers. The debut episode was October 5th, 2011, two hours after we got off the air from the debut of I have 46 series now, two hours after we found out Steve Jobs had just passed away. So the date of October 5th, 2011 is seared in my my personal calendar forever anyway. No, the show wasn't that bad that we upset him, but uh, he certainly was an interesting man, American business magnet, entrepreneur, industrial designer, investor, media proprietor. I haven't heard that one before. He was the chairman, CEO, and co-founder of Apple Inc., chairman and majority shareholder of Pixar, member of Walt Disney Company's board of directors after it acquired Pixar, founder, chairman, and CEO of Next, and he was a pioneer, of course, of the microcomputer revolution of the 70s and 80s, along with co-founder of Apple, Steve Wozniak, who was on Dancing with the Stars. I had to add that. Here's the quote Roger selected. You can't connect the dots looking forward. 
You can only connect them looking backwards. So you have to trust that, that the dots will somehow connect in your future. You have to trust in something, your gut, destiny, life, karma, whatever. This approach has never let me down and it has made all the difference in my life. Roger, what a beautiful quote from Steve Jobs. How does it apply to our topic, please? Sure. Um, you know, within retail, um, we look, well, let me just stop for a second. When you say you can't connect the dots looking forward, our vision is always in the past. As they say, 20, uh, hindsight is twenty twenty. But looking forward, you have to make some trust assumptions. And trust is the key word here. We all accept and operate off of a basic sense of trust. For example, if I tell you my name, you tend to trust it and not question it. Um, we have to have some level of trust in order to move forward. But trust, though, is a two-part thing. First, mm-hmm. you begin with trusting, and then you have to reevaluate your trust based on experience going forward. So with software technology, it's critical to be able to trust the data. If you are a retail associate for sales and operational kinds of data, you have to be able to trust the organization that you work for in order to uh, uh, for them to be able to support you and you as a retail associate, that the data that they're giving to you and the information they're providing to you is trustworthy. And you as a consumer need to be able to trust the retailer both with your own personal data and with knowing your experience, your needs, etc., and knowing know that that retailer is working for you versus working against you. Okay? Um, and it turns out, and there's some interesting books on the topic that have recently been published, it turns out that people who tend to trust more end up being more successful than those who are very suspicious um, of, uh, of suggestions, etc. So, and one of the things that we look at at SAP, and one of our major uh, focuses this year is on uh, tr- uh, experiences you can trust, whether you are a store associate trusting your uh, organization, whether you are an executive trusting the data that is coming to you so you can make your decisions, whether you're a consumer receiving information about product and that you're going to purchase to make sure that that is the right data that you can rely on. That. Trust is really critical going forward. Thank you very much, Roger. Thank you all for such interesting quotes. And now I'm going to take 60 seconds out to talk about a special message from our sponsor, LinkedIn. We're thrilled to have them as a sponsor. Hey, anybody who has a company, you need to populate it. You need to fill your staff, your workforce. Well, we all know hiring the right person takes time. If your business is growing in any direction, in any way, you often don't have that time. Well, now you don't need to let a time crunch get in the way of finding the right job candidates for your business. That's how your business is going to run. And now LinkedIn is the best place to post your job. Here's how it works. Get your job description just right, tweak it just right, using pre-populated templates for over 130 of LinkedIn's most popular job titles. Your job probably fits into those 130 somewhere. Next, you screen for qualified applicants by adding your required questions to the job application. Why is this important? 80% of jobs posted with screening questions get a qualified applicant within one day. That's right, 80% within one day. Next, you target your relevant candidates. You put your job in front of the right people through promoted search results, emails, text alerts, and more. You get instant recommended matches of people who haven't even applied yet, but LinkedIn finds that they would be a good fit for the postings your company has. And LinkedIn jobs will screen the candidates with the hard and the soft skills you're looking for. Yes, you have a job description. They have to do A, B, C, X, Y, Z, have this much education and experience. But what about collaboration? What about creativity? What about adaptability? Soft skills are very, very important to fit into a company today. Here's proof that it works. 25 million professionals, even more than that, view and apply to jobs on LinkedIn every single week. Think about that, 25 million. And more proof, great candidates are hired every eight seconds, every eight seconds at LinkedIn Jobs. So... Here's the call to action. Listen up. Finding the right person meant for your business can happen today with LinkedIn Jobs. You can pay what you want, and the first $50 is on them. Visit linkedin.com slash techrev. That's the code for this show, T-E-C-H-R-E-V. Again, that's linkedin.com slash T-E-C-H-R-E-V to get $50 off your first job post. Of course, 
terms and conditions apply. Thank you for listening. Okay, my special panelists, let's start our predictions section of the show. We're going to start with Brian Kilcourse at RSR, Retail Systems Research. And here is the first prediction Brian has sent me. He says, AI and change. AI will, in fact, change most of retailers' core processes faster than most think. Brian, why don't you take two minutes and explain this to us, then I'll pick the first one from Praffel and then from Matt and then Roger, and we'll just keep going around the table. Okay, Brian, you're up. Well, it's a good question. How much will it change? Uh, and I've come to the conclusion, uh, based on what we've been able to observe in our little company, that it's going to change things, and it's going to change things very quickly, and here's why. Retailers have really operated under what I'd characterize as a plan to sell uh, operating model where they they plan the products that they're going to sell, they plan where they're going to sell them, they plan, plan the price, and then they execute. And it's all based on past sales. This is the way we've operated now for some time. Um, what's happening is that retailers are uh, being forced, I really think uh, this is the best way to look at it, being forced to, to, to become more of a sense and respond organization, uh, that they can sense changes in the real environment and they must respond very quickly to those things. If you think about the implications of that, it affects everything. It affects the consumer side, the, the, the ability to be able to respond to sudden changes in demand in ways that are going to be pleasing to consumers and build loyalty. And on the flip side, on the, over on the buy side of the business in the supply chain, it changes the very nature of how uh, retailers acquire products to sell. And then there's all those internal processes in between that have to move from kind of a, uh, in, in retrospect, kind of a stately cadence based on years and quarters and months and weeks to something much more approaching, this is happening now, today. We've detected a change. We must respond immediately to that change. It's happening in marketing. It's happening in merchandising. Of course, it's happening in the sales environment, and it's starting to happen in the supply chain. That is the entire retail business model, everything about it. Mm-hmm. Now, if you, if, you were, <laughs> if you hadn't had enough coffee in the morning, you might think that this, is, this challenges virtually everything that retailers have built in the post-World War II era. And actually, I agree with that position. All the systems that I had something to do in my time as a CIO, all of those systems, every single one of them are being challenged by the immediacy of the, of, of, of the environment, the immediacy of what happens in the environment, and the immediacy of how retailers must respond. It's very, very different. We say it in our research all the time. It's kind of a stump part of our speeches in that, in that we say that in today's retail environment, it's not about what retailers want to sell. It's about what consumers want to buy. And that's so fundamentally different from the way we've gone to market in the past 40 or 50 years. Thank you, Brian. Interesting. Years ago when I was uh, doing my own thing as a graphic designer and marketing consultant, I remember uh, there was a concept called guerrilla marketing and somebody showed me, told me about an ad for a toaster and two versions of the ad. One was, we're a toaster company. We've been building toasters for 49 and a half years. It's a company-owned business, family-owned business, and we have 12 models and you can get it in three colors and it's great. The other version of the ad was, Is your family in a hurry to have breakfast before they run out the door in the morning? Are you in a small apartment, a small house with very minimal kitchen space? We've got a toaster that'll fit in six by four inches. It'll turn itself on and turn itself off with a clicker. Your family can have whole wheat toast before they go out, and this will help your family buy it now. Now, which ad do you think? This was before we were talking customer centricity, Brian. This was decades ago. I'm just saying that that's where... We were thinking, some people were trying to think outside of the this is us and this is what we're selling versus what will solve the problems for the consumer, right? Yeah, you hit the nail right on the head. It's all about solutions. I'm, I'm paraphrasing this quote. It's in my distant memory. But I remember uh, back in the uh, 1970s or 80s, somebody asked the CEO of uh, General Motors what they did. And he said, and he said we build, we build um, cars and trucks and internal combustion engines. Then they asked the CEO of, I think it was Honda, who said, we move people from one place to another. 
There you go. There you, there, there you go. That, that's it. Thank you very much. Prafel Karan sent me also a, a quote similar to, well, it's a prediction about supply chain. He says, retailers will have to leverage innovative technologies in their supply chain and store operations to deliver on ever-changing consumer demands of, get this, experience, speed, convenience, trust, and transparency. That's what Brian and I were talking about. Prafel, talk to me about this prediction, please. I love it. Yeah, Bonnie. So when I look at uh, the retail, and, and it applies to even consumer products that are going direct to the consumers, it starts with <clears throat> how do I delight my consumer to make them my consumer for life? How do I delight them all the way from the time they are browsing the website or browsing the store or engaging with us all the way till they get an item, whether it's in the store or in the house? and continuously keep them engaged, so the consumer journey. <clears throat> and to do that, consumers are demanding that they want the best experience in every part of that journey. They want, if they want something, they want it now, and now has now gone from two days to one day to same hour. And one of the retailers that we're working with, uh, their mandate is to do it in three to five minutes. So, so that speed is getting faster and faster. And I would even argue some of that is being predictive so before the customers know it, that they want it, it's there. Um, you look at convenience anyway, anyhow. You look at transparency and trust. More, more consumers are becoming more responsive. You know, want the retailer to represent responsibility and sustainability and transparency. Mm-hmm. And so when you look across this journey, uh, the, the good news is 72% of consumers in a survey feel comfortable or really don't care about AI uh, impacting them. So that relationship Mm -hmm. with that person, uh, 72%, which is a pretty large number today, and hopefully that percentage is going to increase. So how do retailers react to that changing consumer demand and do that? They have to almost embed, and I think as Roger said this in the outset, is it's got to be embedded in how they engage with that consumer, whether they're in the store and using biometrics to understand is the consumer happy or sad at the moment that I can send my associate to them and, 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 and address what their concerns are to in my supply chain, I'm able to make last minute changes to products that are going to be at the store to be able to deliver and, and make sure that interface with that consumer sometimes in their home, which is a very personal space that you're in, that you're representing that brand and you're representing and delighting the consumer. So this, you know, while there is some opportunities in, in the back office, it is becoming extremely critical. And, and, there are, and, and as I think Matt said, you know, the future is now. Um, it's, it's mm-hmm. already started happening. We're working with retailers that are doing this. I think it's just it, it'll become more of the norm. And, and that's the only way that, that retailers are going to keep up with these changing demands that consumers have. Thank you very much, Prafel. Matt Lakaitis has teed up for his prediction number one, camera technologies. Matt says, improving camera technologies will accelerate adoption of new innovations in AI, that's artificial intelligence and ML, machine learning use cases. We'll see more and more brands experiment. I'm going to stop right there and let you finish the rest of that and tell us what this is all about. Matt, you're up. Great. Thanks, Bonnie. Uh, Really, this is about the power of the consumer driving brands to do things um, faster and more innovatively than they may have done before. And if you take a look at the power of the the cell phone over the years, that's been one of the most dramatic impacts on business, how business is done, Um, you know, certainly through the rise of the social media and and the shifting advertising dollars from traditional advertising to things like Facebook, Snapchat, other socials. They're trying to go where the consumer is living and where they're interacting. And with the recent Uh, and continued uh, acceleration in technology, specifically around camera technology, I think you're going to see consumers interact with brands in their own way, on their own terms, using the cameras, Mm -hmm. right? So you're going to see people posting on social media, you know, inside a grocery store, interacting with their favorite brand, you know, comparing brands on the shelf. You're going to, in turn, see these brands reach out to them and do things that draw these consumers in to help in a more managed way, use that technology and use the camera. You know, one of the things we partnered with a company called Zappos, who's an incredible retailer, and the Runway mm-hmm. of Dreams Foundation around a fashion show for people with disabilities and adaptive clothing. 
And we used a very simple use case with camera technology to help consumers participate and be part of the fashion show in the moment that they experienced it. So I think you're going to find more experimentation. You know, the new iPhone has those three cameras everyone's talking about. Yes. That's all you see yes. on the billboards and the ads for Apple, right? Yep. So they're, you're going to see consumers really rapidly embrace that. It's really going to change how business is done as a result. A uh, quick question for you, Matt. I'm, I'm ready to tee up Roger Roney's first prediction. But, Matt, is, do you think there's a demographic, uh, shall we say, a demographic focus? First of all, people who can afford the new iPhone, uh, the, the Pro. I think it's uh, the 10 Pro, the 11 Pro. Uh, and number two, do you think it's mostly young people would say, hey, I'm in the grocery store and here I picked this brand of peanut butter over this one and this is why, and, and post a short video of their own on social and become that camera user who is sharing their I don't know, their influencer uh, documentation, if you will. Do you think it will be mostly skewed toward young and or up to the millennial range and they're now in their mid-30s, shock and amazement? Or do you think it will be a broader demographic reach of people who will embrace this? Quickly, what do you think? It's a great question. I think it always starts with one group, but it quickly spreads to the others. And what we're seeing across the board in consumer-facing businesses is the bar keeps getting set higher and higher based upon different experiences people deliver whether that's an experience that's delivered for a millennial or for a boomer, it's the sum total of all the prior experiences set the bar for the next experience. So it'll spread quickly. Thank you very much. Like to hear that. Roger Roney, here's your number one prediction. I love this one, 3D printing. Roger says, within 20 years, most manufacturing will be automated and rely heavily on 3D printing. Roger, please tell us more. Well, okay, so this has a more broad application beyond just mm-hmm. retail. Um, but we have automation and 3D printing. Uh, automation is making great strides in production of all kinds of things, including retail. For example, uh, in Hong Kong now, uh, where you would typically go to a tailor and have your suit measured, and then you'd come back a week later and they'd do a test fitting for you. Now it's, it's possible to go to any tailor in Hong Kong, get yourself measured, that those measurements get uploaded to a central manufacturing location that manufactures in an automated assembly line your particular suit, so that on that assembly line there are hundreds or thousands of suits all individually customized. You get that suit back in two days rather than that Mm. week-long period. So there's some interesting things going on with automation. But 3D printing is really interesting to me. 3D printing first took the position of printing replacement parts. Okay, that has been Mm -hmm. its primary usage up until this part, until this time on the space station and things like that. But it has now started moving into production-oriented items, such as Adidas being able to print shoes to order directly in the store. Printing with various materials, metals, lifts, plastics, glass, etc., is becoming more and more practical every day and every year. For example, in Amsterdam just last year, a bridge was recently constructed via 3D printing in steel on site using advanced robots that built the bridge from both ends towards the middle. That's an example of what we're going to be able to do. But for 3D printing to become absolutely practical in the manufacturing business, it's going to need at least one major breakthrough. And here, let me give you some history here to give you an idea what I'm talking Mm -hmm. about. Consider printing in the 80s when we were printing all on dot matrix printers. If you wanted to go to production print, you had to create the text, send it to graphics, they do the layout, they would provide the, the, the galleys for you, and then would print from the, the final galleys. It was a multi-step process involving many people. His desktop publishing didn't take off and, rem- and remove all those other people from the process until Adobe figured out the PostScript format. That was the key piece in printing that turned printing from dot matrix into desktop publishing. And I think that same sort of breakthrough is going to be necessary in 3D printing for that to become practical for all of us to do things like have a printer in our house that re- uh, prints replacement dishes when we break them, that sort of thing. So Um, And I think the same thing is going to be happening in 3D printing over the next couple of years. And over the next 20 years, I think we're going to find more and more uh, manufacturing processes that have been either manually done or mechanically done, that is to say with complex machinery, into more printed on-demand kinds of things. 
Thank you. I would love to have a 3D printer in my home, Roger. I have a, a piece of glassware. There's only one left, but I had three of them originally. It's uh, got a, a light geometric colored pattern on it. I think it's from the 60s or 70s. Definitely vintage, very retro. I found three of them at a garage sale many years ago, and in all of the moves I've made, two have two are gone, <laughs> swept up and put in the garbage, but one is left, and I've searched desperately on eBay and everywhere I could find replacement, and there are very few of them. They're in gorgeous condition, but they're very expensive. I would love to have a 3D printer and say, I want to make that glass replicated in a newer version. That's another conversation, but thank you for bringing that up. Let's go around the table for predictions number two. Brian Kilcourse, I'm skipping to your prediction number three out of your four you okay. sent me. Uh, because I think this is an important one we'd like to get into. And gentlemen, let's keep it to about two minutes each. I want to see how many we can get before we run out of time, and we've only got not that much time left on the show. So prediction number three from Brian Kilcourse, consumer privacy violation. You say sooner or later, sooner rather than later, some retailer somewhere will violate consumer privacy in such an egregious way the whole industry will pause to take stock of the ethical issue involved with AI and consumer data. Brian, can you wrap this for us in two minutes? Please love to hear your thoughts. Yeah, I can. Uh, this is based on some uh, data that we found in our surveys. And, and, you know, what we're really talking about is personalization at scale. And consumers are leaving all kinds of information about themselves and behavioral information, information about what they buy, where they buy, and uh, how often they buy, what they're willing to pay, what they pay it with, who they're with when they pay it. All of these kinds of things are, uh, are, are discernible in the data. Um, but uh, what we found in, it was in a geolocation uh, benchmark study we did at the beginning mm -hmm. of 2019, that retailers are stunningly naive about the, the privacy concerns that that data raises. And we asked them a simple question, and that, the question was is that the uh, mobile network providers are capable of providing a tremendous amount of, of digital information that helps to understand consumers' behavioral patterns. Uh, and it's, a lot of it is anonymous, How do and some of it is non-anonymous. How do retailers feel about using it? Um, the, the answer to the question, I think it was something like 80-something percent of retailers said that it made them nervous, but they would do it anyway. Um, now, hmm. when we ask the same question of wh where are you as it relates to policy and practices regarding consumer privacy, we found that they had far fewer of them had actually proactively addressed the issue. This just opens the door for all kinds of misbehavior, and it's going to happen mm -hmm. sooner or later. Somebody is going to make such a terrible error that may have already happened. We've seen it in the, in the financial uh, sector of the world um, that, that the industry will have to take stock. Now, the, the, the issue is, is I, I urge the industry to take stock of the, of the challenge and try to deal with it uh, in a proactive way before governments get involved. Uh, because when governments get involved, you have no idea what's going to happen next. So um, I think it's a big issue, and it could slow us down. Thank you. When you said retailers are stunningly naive, that just it just went right through my brain. That's a very interesting concept. Thank you. I think we could do a whole show on that one, and maybe we will next year. Thank you, Brian. Profil Karanth, here's your prediction number two. Love this one. RPA, robotic process automation. You say winners win embed RPA and intelligence in their supply chain to adapt to last-minute change in customer trends and demands and external influencing factors. I'm not sure I read that right, but Profil, please explain this to us. Go ahead. Two minutes. Yeah, I think, I think Bonnie, I think uh, as we get into, you know, using AI, using computer vision, using drones, uh, the privacy that Brian just mentioned is always going to be there, and retailers are always hesitant about putting things in front of consumers, whether it's a drone or it's just cameras for privacy reasons, where we, where I see retailers going to is the safe harbor they have in, in the warehouse, in the supply chain, where there is no the consumer. It's all about them and their associates and how do you make that more efficient. And, and what are, as I mentioned earlier, the consumer's demands keep changing and you have to what was what was selling yesterday may not be selling today, mm -hmm. and the ability with with the combination of whether you do 3D manufacturing or you're, you've got complete visibility and you can do dynamic assortments based on what is selling, what's not. That's where I see retailers going and testing and putting in automation in their back office, which is the warehouse, 
it could be in their yard and there's you know putting drones in their yard is not something that some retailers are starting to do um mm-hmm. and and so what that's allowing essentially for the retailer to do is to be able to put products halfway through uh, a, a supply chain to ship it to places that are selling or to consumers that are buying and and the more that happens in terms of robotics or, or automation, uh, it's about sensors, uh, which is also part of uh, and learning the consumer, learning what's selling, and then driving all the way up back. And some retailers are buying these from Asia where there's longer lead times. If we can put some predictions into uh, where or what's going to sell, uh, we have an example of a, of a retailer that looks at port strikes. And when you look at a port strike and what that does to getting the product in front of the shelf, that's where they're embedding some of these technologies so that, um, and, and it's, it needs to become more and more um, commonplace. And, mm-hmm. and it's not about replacing jobs, it's about repurposing jobs. As we've seen studies that yes. said um, a lot of retailers' jobs are now moving to the warehousing because that's where a lot of the, uh, the robotics and automation is taking place. Thank you very much. Matt Lakaitis, I'm looking at your prediction number two. Interesting, you say experience and speed. Winning brands will continue to use advanced technologies, including sensors, to better bond with consumers in delivering the best experience. Witness the adoption of cashierless stores. Matt, two minutes. What does this all mean for us? Great, Bonnie. It's really all about using technology to have an outcome. And that outcome is really to make sure that you're driving the best experience possible for whatever your brand promise is, right? You want to be consistent with your brand promise. So we're seeing people really embrace advanced technology, uh, including sensors, to change the way that consumers interact with the brands, to change that consumer shopping experience. Uh, there's a story of a company in France that sells a lingerie called Undies, U-N-D-I-Z, and they used a very simple RFID technology to change the way that consumers interacted with their brand. And it really, it really changed the way they perceived the brand and it really helped them take off. And it also changed how they did very basic real estate operations uh, in a big way. So they were trying to find a way to get into a small, uh, a small prestigious market. Uh, but this, the only store that was available on the street was very, very tiny. Uh, but they found a way to use the basement was unoccupied. So they put all the inventory in the basement found a way to use RFID sensors to uh, combine it with a kiosk, and they brought the consumer into the experience, um, and it we worked out great. So there's a tremendous, a tremendous use case around that. And we're really seeing these small incremental experiments lead to big dramatic changes using all kinds of sensors, but it really is all about having true purpose focused on what the consumer experience is with the brand and then leveraging uh, new technology to achieve that. Thank you very much. Roger Roney, I'm looking at prediction number four, multispectral cameras. This is different from what we were just talking about a few minutes ago as far as people using their iPhones because you say multispectral cameras will revolutionize everything we do on our phones. And then the question, is that meat fresh? Roger, can you explain this for us, please? Sure. Um, multispectral cameras have been used in high-tech space industry for a long time. And what they do is they look at the entire electromagnetic spectrum, not just what our cameras typically look at, which is the visual spectrum. When they look at the entire electromagnetic electromagnetic spectrum, um, they can leverage other technologies like gas spectrometry, spectronomy, uh, and add additional information into that visual image so that you could hold your camera up in front of the meat section, for example, and the gases mm-hmm. given off by the meat would be able to be read by that camera, and you would know instantly if this meat is fresh, sort of fresh, or don't bother to eat that. Um, so there's this, all this expansion capability within these cameras. The cost of the technology up until two years ago was excessive, It's now come down dramatically, nearly 90% in the last two years. And I'm predicting within the next two or three years, we will have these kinds of phones, these kinds of cameras directly on our phones so that we as consumers can make more informed decisions about the food we're buying, about the clothing we're looking at. Is it really, really cotton? Is it something else? (laughs) Um, So I think this is going to have great (laughs) impact on how we interact with the the world, not just visually, but across the entire electromagnetic spectrum. 
Great prediction. Thank you very much. I think we have time for one or two more. I'm going to cherry pick here. Profil, you have your number three is AR. And I'd like to talk about that. You say innovative technologies like AR will influence and shorten the consumer's online or in-store purchase decision. And you use Warby Parker as an example. Can you quickly elaborate on this for us, please, and expand it, Profil? Yeah, Bonnie. First of all, I think it's uh, it's should be uh, it's it's augmented reality, right? So when you look at a company like Warby Parker, that's typically which started off as a digital native, pure online company like Wayfair, and and they revolutionized uh, people's purchasing decisions based on using um, augmented reality to uh, to set the right can- uh, 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 glasses for you without ever visiting a store. Um, Nordstrom and William Sonoma started doing that with with um, with the ability to for beautification using AR to do that, and I think all that retailers are trying to do and using this technology to really close the sale at the moment that the consumer is thinking about a product. So if I can convince you this is the right product for you, and use AR to make that decision, I want mm-hmm. to do that at the moment of commerce. Similarly. It's, it's the ability when a consumer uh, receives a product in their home to set up a furniture or buy an appliance. And I'm thinking about replacing my TV, for example. What retailers want to do is capture that sale and convince the consumer that is the right, the right time and right place to buy. So if I can drive them to consumption as, as soon as they're thinking about it, uh, that is where I see all these technologies really playing a role, not just AR, but, you know, 3D printing, uh, robotic, not robotics, but computer vision technology, drive, shortening that decision time so that they can keep that consumer for life. I think we have a long way to go on that, and wouldn't that be nice? I recently had an issue where I couldn't get streaming on my TV, and I went through three vendors on the phone an hour and a half, and finally one woman said to me, I'd be happy to send a technician to your house. The service call just for him to walk in the door is $150, and then it will be parts and labor after that. I said to her, excuse me, do you know what it costs to buy a 55-inch TV today? And I'm going to give you $150 to have him walk in and diagnose something that we should be able to do. Anyway, it was a riot. So I went out and spent a thousand dollars on a new 65 inch tv set it up and discovered that it was i had the wrong network connection on my wi-fi and nothing's i know i've got two perfectly good tvs but i digress so it's interesting there's a long way to go to make the entire experience customer centric i want to thank my four panelists i wish we had more time i just said to my engineer i wish we had a two-hour show because we had so much great information but before i thank you specifically i just want to do one more call to action for linkedin thank you so much for being a sponsor and here's the call to action finding the right person meant for your business today is possible with linkedin jobs pay what you want the first 50 bucks is on them visit linkedin.com slash techrev t-e-c-h-r-e-v that's linkedin.com slash techrev 50 dollars off your first job post terms and conditions apply thank you so much brian kilcourse glad you're safe glad you had power today Praffle Karanth, always nice to talk to you matt lakaitis couldn't do it without you roger roney you're a member of the family now thank you come back soon. Ryan Treasure, my co-producer Aaron Keller, our engineer extraordinaire at World Talk Radio. Thanks for getting us on the air. Next week, Wednesday, October 30th, the day before Halloween. Ooh, we're going to continue the AI topic, and the topic is going to be AI Go Shopping customer experience. So we'll be having four different panelists, but we'll touch on some of these topics. It's just so big because we're all consumers. I'm Bonnie D. Graham signing off. Have a great day and thank you to my panel. Everybody say goodbye all together now. Roger and Brian and Praffle and Roger. Bye-bye. Everybody have a great day. And remember, you're part of making the future of now. Thank you. Bye-bye. Over and out. Thank you for joining us for Technology Revolution, the future of now. Mark your calendar to join host Bonnie D. Graham every Wednesday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel to hear how technology is impacting your future now.